Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. So in, in immersing ourselves in the times, the question I want to ask is, what was their opinion about the Messiah? What was their thoughts? What were they expecting about the Messiah? We have understood that Israel is the one, um, Israel is the nation. Israel is how God decided to introduce himself. And God had been dealing with Israel over the years. They've cooked. So by the time Jesus came, what were they expecting? Where did they get their notions from about the Messiah? Because as we all know, there are some Jews today who believe that we Christians were joking. The same way Jews of that day did not believe Jesus. But there were also Jews of that day who believed Jesus. So the question I'm trying to ask is, what were they expecting, right? And how, we ex how expectant were they? So how we're going to travel this today is we're going to, of course, look through the scriptures, popular scriptures that speak about the Messiah's um, prophecies, not just prophecies, scriptures and prophecies that speak about the Messiah. Then um, I netted out a bit on different Jewish um, interpretation of the Messiah or Amashiach, as they call him, as they call the Messiah, for those who don't believe. So let's start from Genesis, right? Um, I'm not going to go, uh, not according to how the Bible goes, we're just going to be reading different scriptures, but we're going to read a couple of scriptures from the Old Testament. But let's start from Genesis 17. And the reason why I'm reading all of all this is to, number one, see what formed, like I said, see what formed their thoughts, how they think. So Genesis 17 verse 7, this is God speaking to Abraham, or Abraham then. Um, so I don't want to read from verse 1. Let me just jump to verse 3. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of, I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenants and, as an everlasting covenant. Now, the reason why I read this scripture is because this is the introduction of something called an everlasting covenant. These are all the little things that you see as we go on that formed their understanding there because they understood that their covenant did not end at a particular day and time. There's an expectation that they even have till today that God had established an everlasting covenant with them. So this is where he came from and said, and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. So um, that's first scripture. Let's go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37. So I think we might come back here, but let me just, let me just read it. Ezekiel 37 from verse 24. I'm going to verse 26, but let me read from verse 20, 24. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. 
They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob. So that was why I started from Genesis, right? Because here in Ezekiel, it's talking about a prophecy and it's also linking there. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors live. They and their, they and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers, and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. So just take record of all these scriptures. By the time I start explaining some of the things they thought, you will understand why. Why? Doesn't mean you relate to, but you understand why. So read, you can see here where it talks about David. Okay? So now let's go to the law. Because I started with Genesis. Let's go to the law. Uh, Deuteronomy 18. So I'm reading from verse 14. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who doesn't listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a, but a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of, of the other God is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what the prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. Now let's go to the prophets. I'll go to Isaiah last. Let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23. Yes, Jeremiah 23. So we're reading from verse 5. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord our righteous Savior. So. Let me even add to it. So then the days are coming declares the Lord. When I say add I'm not adding. Let me continue reading. I'm not adding anything please. So then the days are coming declares the Lord. When people will no longer say as surely as the Lord lives. Who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But they will say as surely as the Lord lives. Who, be, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he has banished them, then they will live in their own land. Let's go to Jeremiah 33. In case you don't know where Jeremiah is, you can sing this song. I mean, you know that song. Genesis, Exodus, Levantine, first number, Sintonara, Mini, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, first summer, to summer, first skin, to pink. Who's looking at me? Don't know it. First, Pony Pus, two, Pony Pus, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Joe. 
Psalms and prophet Ecclesiastes, song of Solomon, Isaiah. Now you are using electronic Bible, you are not flipping through. When you say open Hosea, you will go to Malachi. Anyway, let's continue. <laughs> Jeremiah 33. Let's read from verse 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make, right, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it, is, by which it will be called. The Lord, our righteous Savior. Okay? Let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34. Okay, let me read from 20. I'm going to 23, but let me read from 20. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself judge between the fat and the lean sheep, because you show flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you've driven them away. I will save my flock. And they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Okay, let's go to Micah seven twenty. Just follow me. I'm taking time to read it so that. You shall understand when we begin to. Okay, no. So this Micah 720 is just speaking to the everlasting covenant. Sorry. Malachi 3, verse 1 to 4. Malachi 3, from verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. I know we spoke about this when we were talking about John the Baptist. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by as in the former years. Now let's go to Isaiah. Let's start from Isaiah 17. Isaiah 7, sorry. Let's read from verse 13, Isaiah 7. Then Isaiah said, hear, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay. Uh, let's go to let's go down to Isaiah nine. Isaiah nine from verse six. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hallelujah. Let's go to Isaiah 11. From verse 1, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, um, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Um, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be, he, will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Okay, let's go to two more. Let's go to Isaiah 14. Uh, let's jump to verse 10. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He turns his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And then lastly, Isaiah 53. Who has believed that message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Hallelujah. Let me stop there. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. So we read from different um, parts of the Old Testament, starting from Genesis, right? Um, and what I'm trying to do is try and immerse us. It's, it's almost an impossible task, but I'm trying to immerse us in how they were thinking how they were thinking in that day and time. Now, the reason why I read all of all this from the Old Testament is because we know that that is what they considered as scriptures. They didn't joke with the scriptures then. This is what their different rabbis were reading in the synagogue. They had different rabbis that, written, that wrote about it, expounded it, explained it. That was what they did. This was what formed their belief system. This was what formed their value system, right? So they believed in the Messiah. They actually did believe in the Messiah. My question now is, so how did they not recognize the Messiah? But before I get there, let's, let's continue. So they believed in the Messiah, right? Belief in the eventual coming of Mashiach. Mashiach. Yeshua. Mashiach. Mashiach, the Messiah. The belief in the eventual coming of the Mashiach is a fundamental part of traditional Judaism, right? Um, in fact, one of the different rabbis, um, uh, has something called the 13, I'll look for the name, Sha. The 13 Rambam laws or something like that. And he tries to explain the 13 things that make up the Jewish um, belief system. So Judaism, if you are a Jew, one of the things that you believe in. And one of them that is fundamental is the belief in the coming and the arrival of the Messiah and what they call a Messianic era, right? Um, we see that the... Messiah, right, that word is not expli explicitly mentioned in the Torah, right? Um, 
And even in the Pentateuch, right? That's why I read the part of the everlasting covenant. You won't see the types of things that we saw in the prophets written in um, the first five books of the Bible. But it's there. The understander is there. And when we say Mashiach, right, what we mean, really mean is the anointed one, right? And the reason why I read all of all this again is to just try and get into their belief system, okay? And when they say Mashiach, right, that's that particular one. And you will see from, when they, from all the scriptures we read about David and the anointed one, a lot of that, that's where it came. That's where that concept of the Messiah. And then you see that some of the scriptures we read, read also spoke about a time where there will be no longer suffering, there will be no longer this, there will be no longer that. That was their belief system about the Messiah and the Messianic era. Let me read some of the things that some of the rabbis mentioned then. Part of their belief was that they believed that the Mashiach would be a great political leader descended from King David. Descended from King David. Now, if you remember what we read in Ezekiel specifically, where he spoke about a king, I would say the king like King David. You understand why they were expecting someone that would be a great political leader looking like King David. They believed that he would be well-versed in the Jewish law and observant of his commandments, that he would be a charismatic leader, inspiring others to follow his example. He would be a great military leader who will win battles for Israel. He will be a great judge who makes righteous decisions. Right? Now, some of them will say that all these things we've mentioned, he's going to be a human, not a God. So keep that one in one pocket. Now, that's their belief about the Messiah. Now, about the Messianic era, when exactly this thing will come, they try, so the, they would say that um, from, from examples, right, funny stories that happen, it was frowned upon when people tried to predict, like maybe using numbers or anything, to try and predict that the Messiah will come between here and here. But they had different things to try and say when the Messiah will come. Some will say, if the whole of Israel doesn't sin in a whole day, the Messiah will come. Or some will say, the Messiah will come when he's greatly needed, when the world is full of so much sin. Or when, so they had all manner of interpretations from these same scriptures that we read about when the Messiah will come. So that's what they call the Messianic era. Right? Um, but most importantly, they believe that the Messiah will bring about the political and spiritual redemption of Jewish people. They believe that the Messiah will bring Israel back, right, and restore Jerusalem. And that he will establish a government in Israel that will be the center of all world governments. Absolute kingdom take over our steroids. Like if you see their description. And again, the, one of the scriptures we read showed how there will be no more and then the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of its Christ. Like, that's, those were their thoughts about what they believed about the Messianic era. That he will establish a government, not just in Israel, but that government in Israel will be the center of all world governments, both for Jews and Gentiles. That he will rebuild the temple, especially the, a, lot of, a lot of them held on to this, that he will rebuild the temple and establish his worship. And that he will restore the religious court system of Israel and establish Jewish law as the law of the land. So that's, that's one of the set of things that people believe. And that's what some of the things that people still believe to today, to say that, so this your Jesus that you Christians call your Messiah does not fit any of these things. Of course it does not fit it. He doesn't. 
Because if you are looking for someone that is going to be that great political leader that is going to come and rebuild your temple and establish um, Judaism as the law of the whole land, Jesus doesn't fit that. And this will now make a lot of the scriptures that you read in the gospel, it will help you make, it, make sense of it as to why they kept asking Jesus all those kinds of questions they were asking him. Sometimes when he will now do mighty miracles, feed the 5,000, they want to go and quickly take him and make him their Lord. Because they had seen all colors of Shege and they were looking forward to a time. But here is the problem. Their, their metrics, their descriptors for that time was all about their penny and selfish satisfaction. Because what they were looking for was someone who was going to make um, Israel the powerful time, the, the most powerful entity in the world. Now, the scriptures in particular that made them have that particular thought were a lot of the scriptures that I, I read about King David. Because all of them knew that King David was a very powerful king. So when he says it is um, something, um, a seed will sprout from Jesse, or the, I will send my servant like King David and all of that. Those are the things that they were taking. Because when they hear King David, the next thing that comes to your mind is the king will come, conquer the land, conquer everything. In fact, by the time you go deeper, they, there are some of the interpretations that will tell you that the Messiah will only come after the sufferings of Israel. After they've been dispersed abroad, then that's when the Messiah comes. Different interpretations. Um, but a, a, a lot of them held that one that said, the, whoever comes and makes Israel the power of the land is the Messiah. So much so that some um, um, rabbis have said that because the Messiah will be a man, anybody has the ability to be a Messiah. But just the same way Moses taught them to judge a prophet by his works, the person that they see that comes and restores the land and makes Israel the star, star boy out of all the world and makes Judaism the um, belief system around the world, they will now know that that's the Messiah. So much so, there are two funny stories. There's one, I can't remember the name. There was one guy, and I know Pisam has mentioned it. I just didn't want to mention the name. Who came close, right? Rallied people around. He was like, and I think he came some years after Jesus died. And people really believed he was the Messiah because he was a very strong and charismatic leader. And he was even a ruthless warlord. Valid, valid people around that was going to take the kingdoms and of course the Romans showed him Shege in multiple colors. Ben she yes, and then they destroyed the temple. Then there was another one that came again, right? And he said this one, this one even came after Islam. And he said he was close. But what happened was he was persecuted and tortured and almost killed. And he renounced Judaism and took up Islam and then ended up packing a lot of his followers to Islam as well. So those are some of the examples they've had um, in the past. And those are some of the things that make them insist that, number one, until your works are tried. And here's the funny thing. The marking script that they've used to define the works, of course, you know, once you said that the works must be the person that becomes world power, one, two, and then they'll say, because anybody has the potential, if you like, come, but we'll use your works to try you and things like that but they're always very careful not to be in a haste to say this person is the messiah they just wait first which is i can understand they will wait to see your works and to wait for you to take over the world 
and restore Israel, and restore the temple, and make the temple the, and make Israel the world power, make Judaism the world religion, make Israel the most powerful nation in the world, and be a king like David, first and foremost. So, that's all the, those are all the thoughts that have formed. But, on the other end, um, there are also rabbis that have looked into the scripture, and have said, yes, there is the political leadership. There is the charismatic leadership that they're expecting of the Messiah. But they've also seen the consistency in the different prophecies that speak about the Messiah that speaks to the Messiah being the son of God and being the servant of God. They understand that the Messiah will be the son of God and the servant of God. In fact, um, they understand that he will have the threefold office of a prophet, the priest, and the king. Right? And um, I want to quote from, okay, no, I don't think I'll quote from him again, so big, big English. But anyway, so they understand that the, the Messiah will hold the, the three positions of a prophet, king, and a priest. Right? And there were also views that the Messiah is actually not going to be human because by the time you read some of those prophecies and you read about um, the coming of the Messiah, that person cannot be human. In fact, there are places that directly say, I will come. There are places that will say, I will be the son of God. So they already know that this cannot be the son of God as well. In fact, um, there were prevalent views on the Messiah as a superhuman figure. So they understood that this person can't be man alone. And they were... Esdras, Apocalypse of Baruch, Rabbinic Documents, there were different ones that actually spoke about the Messiah being, not being man, right? So you can't say that. So yes, there the view, there's the view that he would be a political leader, but there, were also the, there was also the view that the Messiah would be some kind of, um, not an angel. They knew it wasn't going to be an angel. They knew it wasn't going to be man, but they knew it was going to be something like God, like the Son of God, Okay. Now, when we begin to realize some of the funny ideas that he had, like I first spoke about um, the political leader, you can now understand why Jesus separated himself from the ideas of their time, from the interpretation of their time. But Jesus also was a fulfillment of all the scriptures that we've seen. Hold that in one pocket. Now, on the other hand, the Jews in that day, because I was trying to understand their context in that time, and down to this time, same thing that they do. They still believe that Jesus did not fulfill. But by the time you read the scriptures, the scriptures I read to you earlier are the same scriptures that we are seeing in our day and that we read today. It's the same scriptures they read. There's no different version of the scripture. They did not believe. And so that led me to my second question. What more did they need? Why did they have this interpretation? And why did they struggle so much in believing that Jesus was the Messiah? Now, one of the, the, one of the best ways to look at it is, and I think I've said this in about, about prophecy before. I think that was the time where I was talking of Jesus through the scriptures. When we read the different prophecies, like the individual prophecies and all of all those things, what you don't want to do is take one and now take that one, blow it up and make it your A to Z. What you want to do is take all the different prophecies 
see where the consistency is, see what the consistent thing is, and draw a perfect picture. It's like you're trying to do a painting and you just take color pink, but you're trying to paint something that needs different color spectrums. You have to take all the different colors, put your pink, put black, put white, put blue, put yellow, and you're painting the picture. So there was a certain tapestry that God was painting for them. There was a certain picture that God was trying to paint for them in the, in the whole of the Old Testament. What Jesus came to do. And that is why you will also appreciate the ministry that Jesus came to do. You will appreciate the ministry that John the Baptist came to do and the ministry that Jesus came to do. And when you will see in Luke where he said that he st stayed in the synagogue, teaching them from the laws and the prophets what the scriptures said about him. It's not just about taking one and saying this color pink is what the Messiah will be and then now take it as your A to Z. You need to take all of it and see what it spells out for you. That's where revelation comes in. And that was what Jesus came to do. And that's what he was doing with the disciples. For three years, he was just telling them the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. That I am the Messiah. He told them in all manner of languages that they wanted to know that I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of all these scriptures. And every time the Pharisees and all of them came and he said, you see, there was a place that they would say, um, are you not the son of David? Are you not the son of... And he would show them from scripture. They would, they would bring one, he would answer them. They would bring one, he would answer them. So my second question was, with all these things, with the beautiful picture that Jesus had painted, with everything Jesus had presented to them, why did they not believe? Why did they not believe? Let's go to John 3 verse 19. So again, remember where we are. All of you are Jews, rabbis in the day and time, and you've read all the things about the scripture, and now the Messiah has come and you refuse to believe. John 3 verse 19. Um, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness. That's my reason number one. The people loved, loved is the action word here, darkness. For someone who loves darkness and is reading these same scriptures that we are reading, and then light now comes, not that the person is in darkness. The person loves the darkness. When someone loves darkness and you shine light, what, what's the reaction that the person will have? There are a lot of vampires in this case. I know, I, I know some strange people that don't like to put on lights in their room and things, funny things like that. So then if you enter the room and just... And they, imagine somebody has cooked inside the darkness. How many of you have... Let's say you've slept. You've been in a dark room for like, let's say, four hours. You've cooked inside. And then somebody just comes and shines this type of bright light there. Not even, if it's touch light, I understand. Bright light like the sun. Put it on. What do you think the person's reaction will be? If you just run inside hole like rats. They loved the darkness. When people love darkness and you introduce light to them, what do you think will happen to them? They will run. 
they will run. So that's the verdict. They loved the darkness instead of light. And the reason why they loved the darkness is because their deeds were evil. Because think about it. The smart thing is what can people possibly lose by coming to the light? Like, like what could they have lost by saying Jesus is the Messiah? Like, just really think about it. That's okay. What was the worst thing that could have happened? Let's say that maybe they were already planning that when the real Messiah comes, that land that the Romans had, that plot of land by the side of the water, that's the one that will tell the Messiah to give me. Like, what could you have possibly lost if you had just accepted that Jesus is the true light that came to light every man into the world? The only reason why they pulled and ran away from that thing is because they wanted the darkness. They wanted that self-aggrandizement. They wanted that self-satisfaction that darkness had given them. So, introducing light to their situation wasn't going to give them what they want, which was flesh. But nobody would come out and say, I don't accept Jesus because he's not, he's, he's the light and I want to be in darkness. If someone is in darkness and doesn't want to accept light, what do you think about it? Remember, you are role-playing. What kind of story would they tell you? Think about it for a second. Just think about it. They will begin to tell you how, no, is he really the Messiah? No, he did not come like this. He did not come like that. Volition precedes intellectual. You love darkness. But nobody will ever come out and say, I love darkness. So they will come. That's why they will go back, go and think of how they will come. Come and tell Jesus, who is going to marry heaven? Is it the first or the second or the seventh wife? They will go back, come again. They just wanted self. They wanted to feed the flesh. They wanted to continue enjoying the darkness. That's why if Jesus had come, that's, I gave examples. The two examples I gave of um, popular figures then that they considered as the Messiah then were people that came and gave them what they want. If somebody had come and said, I'm the Messiah, I shall give you four wives and ten, ten lands. And Do you think it would have been easier for them to believe that the person was the Messiah? Of course. So if someone came preaching darkness and said he was the Messiah and did small things here and there, of course they would believe. So number one, they loved darkness so they could not see the light. In fact, not only could they not see the light, the light was causing problems for them. Serious problem for them. Number two, again, about, about their love for darkness. Right, let, let's, let's read one scripture quickly, Psalm 52. Psalm 52 from verse 1 to 5. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty hero? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It's like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, you deceitful. Um, you, you, you love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. I'll stop there. Verse 3. You love evil rather than good. This is also a description of the type of darkness those people were steeped into. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. It would have been a very difficult thing for them to ever make the case and see from the truth that Jesus was the Messiah because they were holding so much to the darkness. 
And the other thing about them loving darkness, right? If you read again where it says, and after it talks about um, the, the verdict, this is the um, light has come to the world, but they love darkness. It now says something. The part four of that statement is that everyone who does evil. So number one, you love darkness and you are a doer of evil. Not in every, the way I always beg people every Sunday. Your profiting is in your words, doing. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Now imagine people who take that literally, but they are being, they are being doers of evil, not hearers only. They were doers of evil. Doers of evil. So, number one, someone loves darkness. Number two, someone is a doer of evil. You cannot come to light now. You cannot. And for someone who is a doer of evil, who has been practicing evil, you cannot now insist that if a holy God wants to reveal himself, he should reveal himself in such a way that you, a doer of evil, will be able to mark it and think, yes, this is God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Someone is a lover of darkness. Someone is a doer of evil. If I were to ask you, go and find the truth for me. Go and find the light for me. Of all the people you will go to, will you go to someone who is a doer of evil? Does that person have the capacity to be able to say, this is good? Someone who has loved darkness, who is a doer of evil, the filter on their eyes will not even allow them to. So it even makes sense that as they have steeped in the sinful nature, as they were practicing the sinful nature, it makes sense that all their decisions were opposite of the things Jesus was saying. Because Jesus was holy, Jesus was light. So I don't expect someone who is a doer of evil to say, oh yes, fantastic. Let me put it this way. Kisama said something before where it gives him cringe when some people of the world say things like, oh, I love that pastor. Why does it give him cringe? Because although he's a doer of evil and he's now seeing a pastor and say, I love that pastor. You look at it, look at it, look at Do you understand what I'm saying? The person marking the script and saying, thumbs up, 100 over 100. And this, you will ask a question that, okay, maybe this person that is a doer of evil, is a, maybe it's one of two things. Let's do small logic test. If someone that is a doer of evil looks at someone that is light and says, oh, I mark it 100%, I like this person. My same example, I like this pastor. It's one of two things. Is either this person I'm calling a doer of evil is really not a doer of evil, but actually a good person that can recognize good, right? Or the person that is marking as 100% is doing the things that the doer of evil deems as good. It's one of the two things. So it makes sense that the doer of evil could not recognize when a holy God finally came and condescended into this earth and revealed himself. So that was one of the reasons why, after seeing all these scriptures, after everything, they could not have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. They could not have. Because he did not allow them, he, he not only did not allow them to sell in the, in the temple, he wiped them around my court. How can they like him? So marking scripts, the person marking the scripts, the person doing things, it was, they were at odds. They were at odds. So in fact, if Jesus had, Jesus had come, right? Especially if you are a people pleaser, you don't like people not being happy with you. If Jesus had come and everybody in his day and time had loved him that, and not loved him because he gave them food, 
right? Had loved him and believed in him and everything. And I know that man, is he not man? Man that, as long as the sun comes up every day, man will definitely disgrace you with his evil nature. Ah. And if they now come and say, ah, that was the, that was the best. And what they are saying is not that, oh, this person made me see that I'm a sinful man. Because you will see that some, some of them's reaction to Jesus was, go away from me for I am sinful. If that is not the reaction that Jesus is ha- that they are having to Jesus, then you will already know that something is not gelling. So it makes sense that they had such a violent, angry reaction to Jesus. Do you understand? They just showed the nature of people who are evil. That's all I'm just, that, everything I'm trying to say, that's all I'm trying to say. Now, this now, this now leaves a warning for us. Right? Which is in the dangers of doing or being a doer of evil. Not, see, oh, that you're not a hearer only, but you are a doer also. Is the danger, there is a danger in being a doer of evil. Because these people knew there was no other, there was no other um, group, tribe, there was no other um, team of people in the earth at that particular time, uh, at, that, at that particular point in time, that knew about the Messiah more than the Jews. You know that, right? The Romans, the barbarians, whoever, people that were existing in the world at um, 0 BC to how many AD at that particular point in time, there was no other person who knew more about God. And by God, I mean Adonai, Yahweh. There was no other person that knew more about God than these people. But they could not recognize him. That's the danger of sin. When it comes to saying the Torah, some of them could recite it. See how Paul gave you his resume. When he came to things like this, he was blameless. They could recite these things. If you had put any of them and he sat them, do you know the funny thing is that some of these Jewish rabbis, don't argue with them. Oh. If it is when it comes to philosophy, when it comes to um, Old Testament theology, when it comes to systematic thinking and things like that, come on. They knew these things. They were intellectually sound. They were very intelligent. But the sin in doing them, the, the danger in doing sin is that it clears your mind. You never recognize light. So this thing is a warning. Or why sin? I'm not even going to come and start arguing whether if you sin, you will not go to hell. You will enter heaven, but you will not go to the bad gates. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you that what sin does is that it doesn't allow people to see road. God gave Israel a value system. The eternal moral laws that we see that is in the law. Try to get them to see things a certain way. Try to get them to understand sin. He tried to get them to understand sin. Yet when they were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for someone who will come like David. They were not looking for someone who will come and save them from their sins. Because at that particular point in time, they didn't think their sins were a problem because they didn't think they were sinful. They actually didn't think they were sinful and needed redemption. They did their concept of the Messiah, they, in fact, they will say that the Messiah as a savior of, savior of mankind, saving mankind from sin, is a concept that the Christians introduced. Because that was not their understanding of Messiah. What they were looking for was someone that was going to come and restore the kingdom of Israel and build a bigger temple. In fact, what they were expecting of the Messiah was all the things, all the good things that had ever happened to Israel in their day and time, they were expecting the Messiah to come and do it, but on a larger scale. So if the temple was like this, they were expecting the Messiah to come and give a bigger temple. Come and do um, all the things that Moses did and all of that. All the things that David did. They were expecting the Messiah to come and do it. Times 10 raised to power 100. 
And we're not even expecting the concept of sin and a savior. Who are you calling a sinner? That is the danger of sin. That is the danger of being a dwarf even. You know, go sin road. In all your intelligence, in all your whatever, you will not see well. Dangerous to be a dual people. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. And that's why we must never rate anybody who sounds, who gives you all the. That's why no matter how intelligent these people are, I will not rate them. Because as long as you cannot recognize light and as long as you cannot do what God will have you do, it's, we judge you by being a doer and not a talker only. Reason number two. With that thought, I'll finish on time. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. In, when I was in, in researching for this thing, it just made me appreciate more what Paul was arguing, what the kind of battles Paul was facing in that day and time when he was trying to get these people to see what he had seen. Remember I said that some of the understandings that he had then was, let me know, I, I know I'm emphasizing them thinking of the Messiah as a political leader, but like I said, they were those who actually believed that the Messiah was actually a it was going to be more than human. It wasn't going to be a human being. It was going to be God. is going to have God-like abilities and all of that. And all their interpretations, right? By the time you see their interpretations and you see what Jesus did, like it's like one plus one is equals to two. It's clear as day. In researching this thing, just made me realize how Paul must have been. Because it's like you're just trying to, someone says, oh, I'm looking for somewhere to sit down and there's a chair here. And the person is standing up and telling my leg is spinning. And you're trying to tell the person, the chair is here. And the person is saying, no, my leg is... And you're telling the chair is here. The chair is here. So it just made me appreciate more what Paul was saying. So let's go into 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Right? He says, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in, the, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Reason number three. Jews were seeking science. Greeks were seeking wisdom. But the world did not realize that in all the how many years of its existence, in all the wisdom, because I hope people know that people of today are not wiser than people of that day. I hope people know that. Because some of you might think that Oh, they did not have phones then now. They did not have the intelligence to come up with phones. That, no. Wisdom is what I'm talking about here. And even most of the things that we do, there's a progressiveness to, to the knowledge that we have and science and things like that. So don't ever fall into a trap of thinking that in, a, in my day and time, I'm more intelligent than the average person of those days. In fact, that's why you should be a reader of history. Just read small. Then you will know that there's no one, there's no philosophical concept that is new. There is nothing that you are seeing that is new under the sun. When you go back, at least to the small fragment of 
historical books that we have, you will see that there's none of your thinking and philosophizing that is new. There's no concept that is new, right? So you would see that in all the wisdom that all the world had, Jews and Gentiles alike, none of them could find God. Why? The Jews were looking for science. The Greeks were looking for wisdom. And God chose to use the foolish things of the world to confound them. Like I said, the reason why this thing is so amazing is because if God had chosen the wise things of this world, then it's a question I'll ask God that, is it the wise things of this human being's rule? Is it the, is it the so-called wisdom of these human beings that don't know more than lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh and pride of life that you are rating? Of course, God cannot rate the wisdom of men. What is the wisdom of men? So that is why the wisdom of God will always look like the foolishness. Will always look like foolishness to men. Do you get what I'm saying? Remember the same analogy I gave with an unbeliever, like someone who is steeped in evil, pointing and saying, oh, that person is fantastic and that person is supposed to be a man of God. What people like that consider wise is not what God will consider wise. That's why God is holy. That's why God is God. That's why God is not our mate. So the Jews were looking for signs. The teachers of the law, the philosophers of, this, of that age, and even of this age, were all looking for different things. God rubbished all of them. Because what Jesus came to achieve is a... I don't want to use the word concept, but in trying to communicate what I'm trying to say, is a concept that nobody could have come up with. I keep telling people, I, I can't even use people as an example because people have steeped inside the gospel. You are already steeped. But if you ask anybody, just ask where you are trying to um, um, evangelize to people who are steeped in this world. Just ask them that, okay, in all of your wisdom, come up with a savior for mankind. That's when you'll be hearing talk. An Iron Man Pro Max. That's the wisdom of the world. What's the best, what's the best concept they could have come up with? None of them could have thought of God condescending to this earth and saving mankind. And this is a holy God we are talking about. A righteous God we are talking about. So, all of them in all their wisdom could not recognize it. But God was pleased through the foolishness to save those who believe. Christ crucified. In all of the one thing that I shall know is that in all of the different interpretations for the Messiah, none of them came up with a Messiah that will be crucified, a Christ crucified. That Christ crucified was such a stumbling block. Was such a stumbling block. That was why even when he was on the cross, they were still mocking him. That I thought you said you are this, she you will not come down. Because in their mind, they were thinking of what kind of person says he's a god. And just like Pixam said, he's dying on a tree. Can you imagine? And you are calling yourself God. You are calling yourself our Messiah. And look at your nonsense, for lack of a better word. Death. What word did you use for it? You didn't use useless. Look at your, your death that is not even, doesn't even have small ginger or flavor. Not, it's not even interesting. Look at, you died like a common criminal. Christ crucified, Gongo, Christ crucified is the major problem. It was one of the major problems on what they were expecting. And this is now not just for the Jews, but for the Greeks. What kind of God who is coming to save the world will come and die on a tree? Because like I said, if you were to ask any of them, 
I've given you the version of what the Jews will want. They want King David Pro Max. And if you had asked the Gentiles, they would have probably wanted um, Plato Pro Max, someone that is very intelligent, because they were seeking wisdom. Jews were seeking science. Christ crucified is the foolishness to all of everything that we were looking for. So, what do we learn from all of all this? If you are listening to this or you ever come across this and you listen to this and you are not a Christian, the first thing you need to understand is that you need to turn to God. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. See, the Messiah that the Jews are looking for, who is going to come and take over the kingdoms for them, it's never going to happen. In fact, my question is, let's even assume it happens and then what? Let's play along. So your King David comes, your King David Pro Max comes, and then all of the world comes. Uh, like all, the, all the world now say, hey, King David, and then what? God came to achieve something by taking out a heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. Because how did the world get to where it is? It is this our sinful nature and our sinful heart of stone that keeps getting us to where we are. In fact, what I'm saying is if you pick man and woman the way we are like this, and God put us in another place that is clean, everywhere is perfect, and come back 2,000 years, what you will meet is what you are meeting today. So that's what I mean by and then what? Let's assume that the Messiah that came was their Jewish interpretation, and that was it. There was nothing done in their hearts. There was no reshaping of their values. There was no reconciling them back to God. What will have been the state of the world 2,000 years after that? Think about it. What will have happened? We would have been back to where we are. So anyone who is listening to this, right, you need to understand that that wisdom that you are trying to use for how the Messiah should have come is foolishness. The Messiah has come and the Messiah is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And everything... Everything that God was doing, all the workings that God was doing in the Old Testament. In fact, there's um, one of the sayings in Talmud says that all of the Old Testament is speaking about the coming of the Messiah. Everything that God has been doing, everything that God has been orchestrating has come to pass in the coming of Jesus. And that is why we esteem it, that this thing we have is great treasure. It's great, great treasure. It's great treasure. That's number one. And that's for people who are not saved. Now, for those of us who are saved, just like I, I told you about them loving darkness, I know that you have the Holy Spirit, but it's a very dangerous thing to love darkness or to be a dual of evil. I said it before, but I'll say it again for the last time. It's a very dangerous place to be. You will not know when you begin to say, did God really say, why is, why is water wet? Why is the sky blue? And be asking funny questions. A lot of the problems that we're having, it's not me that says one, I'm paraphrasing Pisham. So if you want to drag anybody, go and drag them. A lot of the problem we're having with atheists is that they want to have sex. And be how did you say it? They just want to do funny things. They want to be doers of evil. And they want to do their evil in such a way that you coconut head people will not come and be telling them that they are sinners and they should repent. So 
being a doer of evil is a very dangerous place to be. You, that's when you begin to reason funny things. Just because you want to satisfy the flesh. So if you are ever in a place, or if you are in a place now, where you find yourself constantly falling into sin, as we wrap up service today, I need you to pray for yourself. Because you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to sin. You have the Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous place to be. In a place where you are constantly sinning. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. I'm not telling you to come and confess to me. But if you want to talk to your pastors, please come and talk to your pastors. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. And here's the funny thing about sin. Some of you will think that when I say don't be in a place of sin, you think I'm saying don't be stealing. We all know better than that. There is all manner of pain. Don't be a lover of darkness. There are some things that you know you do that you shouldn't do. There are some practices that you know you should do that you shouldn't do. In fact, what the things you should be doing instead are valuing spiritual exercises, doing spiritual things to help you and save you and make sure that your value system is not warped. Number three, Christ crucified what Jesus came to do. This is why we must be very careful of preaching any gospel that is outside of Christ crucified. Any gospel that is not the gospel of Christ. Don't go there. You we'll come and say that uh, Jesus Christ came to come like King David. Don't go there. Don't go back and build the stumbling block by which the Jews fell. Don't go there. The message of God, the gospel of Christ, is that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. That is the stumbling block that they are stumbling on. Don't now come and build it and say that that is the gospel of Christ. Are you not even worse off? At least if you want to build a stumbling block, don't shall call it the gospel of Christ. Call it the gospel of, of whatever you want to call it. But don't call it the gospel of Christ because are, what the gospel is, is clear. And it doesn't look like all these other things that I had painted. So be very careful. Be very careful. And final message is in, in learning and researching and seeing all these things about these times and the beliefs that the Jews had, it made me now appreciate more the fact that people like Apostle Paul and many other converts between then and our day, because they were not stupid. They know what they saw. They know what they experienced. The fact that we have actually a great cloud of witness, witnesses as Christians. This is again why I wanted to go into this series like this, this series of John, to make us realize that this thing that we believed, we did not bring it out of thin air. This thing that we believed, we didn't just cook it and say, come and take. We actually have an inheritance that goes back 2,000 years. You will see that most of the things you are struggling with are things that other people have struggled with. I need you to understand that you are not alone. Not only are you not alone in the fact that you have brothers and sisters in Christ, as we have in today and our day and time, but you, have, you are not alone in the sense that there are also a lot of people like you who not only have believed this gospel, have suffered for the gospel, have been persecuted for the gospel, have gone through so much. The same gospel that they have is the same gospel that you have. And it's such a great inheritance. It's such great treasure. You are not alone. You've never been alone. You have never been alone. 
So at no point in time, don't ever think like, ah, she be, ah, am I the one that is, am I, ah, mm-mm. You are not alone. Amen. All right. I think I'm done for today. So we're finally done with John 1. So I promise that we'll move through the other parts of John quickly. I think so, because one of the things I really just wanted to establish was um, all of the background. All of the background. Not all. Can't establish all. But I wanted to, to a large extent, establish the background of Jesus' day and time. So from John 2, going to Jesus' ministry, um, John's um, revelation of Jesus, um, Jesus being God and things like that. So we'll move a little bit faster. But I just wanted us to take all of all this context um, into play. You are not alone in this Christianity. You have such a great inheritance. And it's something that you should always value. Hallelujah. You know, this night, something really dawned on me that Apostle Paul's assessments in Romans chapter 10 of the Jewish nation was, was spot on. There's only one thing that the Jewish people missed. There's only one thing that people did, the Jewish people missed and scattered everything for them. Another thing that they missed was self-righteousness. What I mean is this, I just, it just don't know me today that when we went through all the prophecies, you know, that you know, I just read about the, um, everything, all the prophecies about Jesus, something just dawned on me. That even when they were looking for a descendant of David that will make the nation of Israel great, that will make all the nation of, nations of Israel to flow into Israel, and the laws of Moses will become exalted above every other law, Jesus actually fulfilled it. If not for Jesus, nobody will know the Bible except Jewish people. The Jews realize that. If, I, if not because of Jesus, there will be no Islam. Because Islam is a Christian heresy. Did you realize that? If not because of Jesus, why, why will America be bothering themselves trying to protect Israel today? Jesus actually saved those people. Actually did. But what was the one thing that allowed them not to be able to see that all those prophecies were actually what Jesus did? Self-righteousness. When you have made up your mind that the Messiah must come to fulfill a law or to fulfill a prophecy that will make righteousness to be about you. That will make righteousness to be about your performance. That will make righteousness to be about how well you can perform. If you insist on being self-righteous, if you insist, no matter how zealous you are, if you insist that you want to make your righteousness to be by yourself, when the Messiah comes, and tells you that you have to relinquish your self-righteousness for his own self-righteousness, everything he says will not make sense to you. Hallelujah. Jesus actually fulfilled all the prophecies. It's so interesting that Jesus fulfilled it so much, there isn't even a temple anymore. 
There isn't even a temple. The temple has been destroyed. There isn't even a temple anymore. That's how serious it is. So if you're looking for a Messiah that will come and build a physical temple and do all those things physically, he's gone. But we see a Messiah that came to build a spiritual temple. Laid upon the cornerstone of himself and the apostles, and many people being lively stones, being fit into that temple. So do you see that? If you're looking for a Messiah that will build a physical temple, he's obviously dead and gone. 2,000 years, the temple was destroyed, 72 AD. But we saw a sea Messiah that built another temple. The temple that we all are part of. Hallelujah. That's some good stuff, isn't it? The only reason why they can't see it is self-righteousness. If you insist on having your own righteousness, you have. You will never see it. Praise God. You know, and, and it's interesting. Folks, let us have faith in what we believe. Folks, let us have faith in what we believe. Let us have faith in what we believe. Let me remind you of something I've said before. Even the 10% of a people in a society believe something very strongly. Only 10%. They will change the remaining 90% that does not have convictions over time. If Christianity is not spreading, it's not because Christianity, Christian nationalism has not been achieved. It's not because the kingdom takeover has not been achieved. It's because the believers don't have deep persuasions. What we believe is true. Hold it firmly. Hold it firmly. God will help us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.